0: Well, please uh, have, have a Bible in front of you so that you can follow what we're going to say. That's especially important for Jill here this morning. Um, we're in 1 Timothy um, at the beginning of that uh, letter, and that's on page 840 of the Church Bibles, 840. Um, just to say as well, if you're a, a younger person here, I've produced a, a, one of these, a sheet just to help you to, to, to go through the, the message we're looking at today. So, by all means, just grab one of those if you haven't done already in the St. pens. Uh, just just on the way, over the way there too. Well, uh, welcome. If I haven't had a chance to say good morning to you already, I'm Anthony, and I'm going to open up this passage in 1 Timothy with God's help. Um, now, let me just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we've just sung, speak, O Lord's. And we thank you that your word is a word to change us very, very deeply. And so we pray that your word would be doing that deep, deep work in us this morning. Give us open ears and hearts, we pray, uh, to be not merely hearers of that word, uh, but doers. Change us deeply, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In my last church in in Worcester, Elaine and I um, used to have a group round at our house for people who had uh, recently become Christians. Um, uh, And it was great. Uh, I remember remember it very well. They were all very different. Um, One was at college, uh, another one was a working mum, another one was unemployed. And they all had very different testimonies of how God had reached into their lives. Uh, With the light and the life of the good news of Jesus. But they did have one thing in common. When you listen to their testimonies. I remember distinctly being struck by this. Because they all said it in their own way. They all said that the love that they'd experienced in that church. When they first went along. Was far removed from anything that they'd experienced. In their normal world outside. Now, it wasn't a perfect church by any stretch, because perfect churches don't exist. Uh, church is, by definition, a group of sinners who've been saved by grace. Uh, and if you're here as a visitor this morning, let me tell you that's the case. Okay? Here are sinners saved by grace. But when those people were in a, in a, in a gathering of the church, they noticed something different. They noticed a love for one another and a love for others that was quite beautiful and alien to their usual experience. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing when someone comes into a church or comes into the company of a Christian in the week and they experience that real Christian love. Uh, Real Christian love of people whose, whose hearts have been changed. By Jesus. Someone has wisely said, What this world needs is Christian love. Uh, We do live in a world that is desperately in need of Christian love, don't we? And we could say, What speak desperately needs is true Christian love, couldn't we? And the question at the heart of Paul's mind as he wrote this letter to Timothy was just that How does real Christian love flourish? It's there in sentence number 5. Have a look at it on page 840. Paul says the goal of this command is love. And we'll take a look at what that command is surely. How will that love flourish? Well, two two main points here. In verses 1 and 2 Paul says it's to do with the right model of authority. And in verses 3 to 7 he says it's to do with the right handling of the Bible. Now, let me let me say. Does anybody does anybody uh, write letters anymore? <laughs> a few of you, yeah. We seem to have got out of the habit of writing letters a lot, haven't we? Why is that? Well, it's probably because we've got yeah. We've got lots of other ways of communicating now, haven't we? Uh, text, and email, and all those kinds of things. Um, but do you still like getting a letter? Do you enjoy getting a letter? When it comes through the post. Yeah. Oh, so long as it's not a bill, yeah. <laughs> or, or something like that, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I mean a letter from someone here that you, you, you're fond of. And it's great, isn't it, to get a letter. I've got a couple of letters here. Um, I, 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 we've kept them. Um, uh, these are addressed to me, and my wife has got some addressed to her. Uh, and they're love letters. They're letters that my wife sent to me uh, many, many years ago. Um, and um, well, I can hardly bring myself to look in them and read them again because I just get all emotional. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but, but I remember being dead excited uh, waiting for uh, Elaine to send me uh, a letter. Uh, perhaps you know that feeling. And uh, this is a letter. The reason I said this is a letter, actually. Uh, sentences one and two are like the introduction of a letter. You sort of, when you say, Hi, how are you doing at the beginning of a letter, um, Paul is writing to Timothy who's a young pastor of the church or maybe a group of house churches in an area called Ephesus which today is in modern day Turkey. And the letter is addressed to Timothy, verse 2 but it's meant to be heard by the whole church. We know that because at the end of the letter the very last sentence, which is on page 842 says, grace be with you. And the you there is plural. So effectively he's saying, grace be to you lot. Talking to the whole church. So it's addressed to Timothy, but the church are, as it were, supposed to be reading it over his shoulder. Now, now normally that's a rude thing to do, isn't it? My wife gets a letter that's addressed to her and I'm trying to read it over her shoulder. She'd be right to say that was rude. But it's not rude in this case. That's exactly how it's supposed to read it. It's dressed to Timothy, but we're listening in and it's for us. And it was for the people that uh, were in those churches in those days. Now, didn't you think, when, 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 when Matthew read it to us, didn't you think that the opening of this letter seemed a bit stiff and a bit, uh, a bit bossy to start with? Have a look at it there in, in verse 1. It begins Paul, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. It's a bit bossy, doesn't it? Why does he begin like that? Was well, very, very important. It, it, it's at the heart of our first point here. Paul wanted the church to know that his words carried real weight. Paul's word carries weight because he's an apostle by command of God. What's an apostle? We might say. Well, Jesus commissioned a unique authority. Uh, He gave this group a unique authority, uh, people he called apostles and Paul was later added to that group on that dramatic day on the road to Damascus some of you may know that story and these apostles were given this unique and unrepeatable authority from Jesus Christ to teach them and in every age since the truth We might call that the good news, what we might call here the authentic gospel, the really good news. So in starting his letter like this, Paul is saying to the church, pay attention to this young Pastor Timothy, because what he teaches is the true teaching. And so it comes with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Where do we hear the apostles teaching today? Where do we hear Paul teaching today? Well, the answer, of course, is in the Bible. The Bible carries the authority of Jesus Christ. And what seems to have happened here, uh, according to this letter, is that some people were denying the Apostles' teaching uh, somehow. They knew their Bibles very, very well, but it didn't have ultimate authority, it didn't have ultimate authority in their lives. And so to them then and to us today, Paul says, if we want love to flourish, we must deliberately come under the authority of the Bible. The authority of Jesus Christ himself. You must come under his authority. You must listen to him. You know, I'm glad to belong to a church that takes the Bible seriously. But I know in my heart... I can make it say what I want it to say if I don't like what it says. Yeah? And so, I have to say to myself, I've got to come under the authority of Jesus Christ himself, which is the Word of God. The Bible carries the authority of Jesus. And Paul's first point is that true Christian love will only exist where there is that right authority. When we gather together as a church that that has authority. And when we scatter in the week, and as we think on our lives, and as we think on this word, that it has authority in our lives. But then we might say, well, how is it to be used? And that's Paul's second and main point in sentences three to seven. And Paul says that love only flourishes when the Bible is correctly handled. It's one thing to say, well, the Bible is the authority, but how is it to be used? Certain persons have slipped out from... Remember the true teaching, and we're teaching, Paul says they were teaching different doctrines. What does he mean by that? Well, doctrine just means the content of what they were saying, the content of their teaching. What were they teaching? Well, we don't know exactly. Sentences four and six and seven throw a little bit of light on it. If you've got your Bible in front of you, you'll see. They seem to have been preoccupied with, with myths. An endless family trees, verse 4. And in verse 7, it's something to do with the law, of the Old Testament. The right use of the Old Testament is a book, as a book of promise. The Old Testament stories about, are about God's promise. That's, that, that's what Jane was showing us at the front, wasn't it, using that illustration? The promise is made to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But what seems to have been happening is that instead of rightly seeing the good news of Jesus shining out of the Old Testament, it was being used as a... The Bible was being used as a springboard for all sorts of fascinating speculations, filling it out with all sorts of stories. And the result is that in the hearts and the minds of the people in that church, the Bible had become less a story of rescue and more as something which is just terribly interesting or fascinating. And sentence six, Paul says it was empty, it was meaningless, it was weightless as a result. But it would be. The Bible had become something to be intrigued by, fascinated by, speculated about, but not to change. By contrast, the right way to treat the Bible is summarised in verse 4. These promote controversies rather than God's work. That's the right way, God's work, which is by faith. And the work, God's work, the word that says God's work there is literally his gospel work. God's plan, God's rescue plan to save sinners like you and me that rescue plan that was promised in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that, Paul says, is the right way to approach any part of the Bible. To remember that the Bible is essentially about seeing God's rescue work, his rescuing plan, and everything has something to say about that. And that, Paul says, is a necessary condition for real Christian love. But why? Why? But why? It doesn't sound very loving to always be beating on about sin. And it doesn't sound loving to be always beating on about God's wrath and about the need to be rescued, does it? Because, sentence five, only that right handling of the Bible as a word of rescue will lead to a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Because sentence five, it says, love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And those three depend on a deep, deep work in the heart. And that only comes about when the Bible is rightly handled as a word of rescue, rather than something which is essentially interesting or fascinating Can I to share with you what I think is a great danger for us? That could happen to us? Paul says that some had wandered away from the truth. I don't suppose it was deliberate. They probably hadn't noticed. They probably had a reputation of being quite knowledgeable. And they knew their Bibles very well. And their house groups more than likely tended to major on minor details. They wouldn't deny evangelism and holding the good news of Jesus out to others was important. But it wasn't in the driving seat. And there was a felt absence of true Christian love. They probably gave little time to developing deep, loving relationships with fellow believers. And if the church they belonged to in Ephesus had tried lots of ways to love the community, well they certainly weren't a part of it themselves. And if the end of the letter is anything to go by, they were materially, comfortably off. But underneath it all was a deep discontentment. Wanting more things but never really being satisfied with anything. And I want to say that could easily be describing me. Could it describe you? Well, as we draw to a conclusion, let's just recap what Paul has said at the beginning of this letter to Timothy. Paul's great concern was that the church at Ephesus should be a place where real Christian love flourished. And that should be our concern too, shouldn't it? I guess there are people here who would say, similar to the people that, that in, in, in the group of, of the church that I mentioned myself at the beginning, that that was something that drew them to the good news of Jesus. It should be a concern that there should be a place where real Christian love flourishes. But in order for real Christian love to flourish, there needs to be a right submission in our lives, in our church, to the authority of the Bible the authority of Jesus Christ and where the Bible is rightly treated as God's big rescue to change us in a deep, deep way a pure heart and a good conscience <clears throat> to sincere faith rather than to intrigue us or to tickle us and my guess whether we're a Christian here this morning or not is that, that we are all painfully aware that we have divided hearts and a bad conscience. And an insincere faith. We, we, we are aware of the fact that we put a mask of respectability or whatever it might be on as we gather uh, with one another. Knowing deep down what God really knows about us. And so whoever you are here this morning, I want to hold out to you as Paul does God's work. His rescuing work what we call the gospel, good news of sins forgiven and peace with God which is able to give you a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith and it is also able to restore those three to us pure heart, clear conscience good conscience, sincere faith Because none of us have by nature pure hearts. Jesus spoke about the problem of the heart, didn't he? Out of men's hearts, he said, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Jesus said, out of man's hearts all of these things come. But it's that rescuing word of God. Our saviour. The word that comes at the initiative. And with the authority of Jesus himself. Jesus our hope. Can reach into bad hearts like that. And change them. It's a deep deep work isn't it? Can it purify a heart like that. And set it on the path to a good conscience. And a sincere faith. Not religion. And make our lives and the church we belong to, a place where real Christian love flourishes. Listen to how the Apostle Peter puts it in his letter. Let me, let me say this. It's in verse uh, 22 of the beginning of Peter's letter, he says to Christians, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have be born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all men are like grass he says and all their glory is like the flower of the field the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord stands forever and this is the word that was preached to you Christian, let me say to you this morning, that living and abiding and enduring word has been written on your heart. And so, receive again with meekness, James says, the implanted word, which is able to save. Having these opening words from Paul, giving you a panting and a longing for that true word to have its way in your life will you come again under its authority truly as Paul is urging us at the beginning of this letter and if you're a visitor here this morning if your experience of religion generally and Christianity specifically is just endless, empty, weightless nonsense then hear this God is a saviour And Jesus is the hope. And the Bible is the good news of his rescue. So let me challenge you to ask either the person that you've come with or somebody that you know, say, show me that. Show me what that means. Show me. Sit down with them this week. Are you brave enough? Contact me. I would like nothing better. To be able to open up with you that word of rescue this week. And come back next week. Next week in the rest of this first part of chapter in the letter, Paul's going to lift the lid still more on this glorious God's word, this rescue work. uh, To give, if we're not yet a Christian, and to restore to us if we are, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And we all want that to live. Well, as I ask, I think Mary's singing for us, aren't you? So if you'd like to come and ask the musicians to get ready. The rest of us, let's bow our heads uh, and let's be quiet for a moment. And I'll pray and then we'll sing and then we'll finish.